0: and welcome to Genius Little Minds, the podcast about childhood mental health from the perspective of a licensed mental health professional. I'm Dr. Madeline Viera, a clinical child psychologist specializing in infant mental health and childhood anxiety disorders. I'm also a mother of three girls ages 6, 4, and 2, so I can personally relate to a lot of the struggles parents go through. Raising healthy children is important, so... On each episode of Genius Little Minds, we'll dive into an aspect of childhood mental health. I'm here to shine a light on the tough issues that families like you are facing every day. Things like childhood mood disorders, anxiety, tricky family dynamics, and more. I'll guide you through the various aspects of children's mental health so you not only understand your child better, but also feel empowered as a parent to make decisions and help them seek treatment if it's needed. My mission is to demystify childhood mental health issues so you can connect with your child better and help them lead a healthy, happy life. Throughout the podcast, I'll help you understand the signs, symptoms, and treatments for various childhood psychological disorders. We'll talk about how you can best support your child in both school and at home, and how to find professional help if necessary. Together, we'll navigate tough topics like infant attachment, toddler tantrums, signs of anxiety. ADHD and childhood depression, intrusive thoughts or obsessive behaviors, and so much more. So whether you're having trouble bonding with your newborn or you have an older child displaying behavioral difficulties, this podcast is for you. I work with infants and children with a wide range of mental health concerns. If you gain one thing from this podcast is that you are not alone. Thousands of families struggle with the same things that you do. And the good news is, Help is available. I believe that with the right information, you can make empowered decisions for your family. On the last episode of Genius Little Minds, we talked about childhood depression. Unsure what depression looks like in kids or teens? Make sure to take a listen. I go over phrases you might hear your child or teen use if they're depressed. What can cause childhood depression? and treatment options. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Today, we're going to discuss ADHD and how it presents in children. This diagnosis can often be confusing for parents because it can be hard to know what's normal developmental behavior versus something in need of professional intervention and treatment. And you'll also learn something surprising about ADHD and whether it runs in families or not. So, it's important to note right off the bat that ADHD presents differently in boys and girls. Often boys are diagnosed with ADHD because of rambunctious behavior, while in girls and women, ADHD often presents as inattention or attention deficit disorder, not hyperactivity. This means that girls with these symptoms often get missed and can go undiagnosed for years. Oftentimes, it becomes noticeable during the exam years when a girl might struggle more with studying and staying focused than neurotypical children. Sometimes moms don't even know they have ADHD until they bring in their child for an evaluation. Just like with other mental health conditions, timely evaluation and treatment is so important, it can significantly impact outcomes. And the sooner your child gets skills to cope with ADHD or other mental health challenges, the better. So remember, if you have a daughter, she may not be bouncing off the walls the way a boy with ADHD might be. Her behaviors might look more like doodling and not paying attention, struggling with organization and time management, and other symptoms which I will go over in detail in just a bit. So just how many kids have ADHD anyway? In the UK, approximately 2-5% to of school-aged children and approximately 6 million children in the United States have been diagnosed with ADHD. Of that number, half are between the ages of 12 and 17. Girls are less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD than boys, 5.6% compared to 12.9%. Because girls typically present with more inattentiveness than hyperactivity, their diagnosis may be missed by care providers. All children will be inattentive, impulsive, or hyperactive sometimes. Preschoolers will often struggle to stick with a task for a long period of time. That doesn't mean they have ADHD necessarily. Let's face it, they get bored easily. It's hard to focus when you're three or four. Preschoolers are not known for having amazing attention spans. And you're they might get really hyper when they're with their friends, interrupt, talk over each other, and have lots of energy they're just waiting to burn. That's also just a normal part of being a kid. Or maybe you have a teenager who doesn't want to clean their room, do their homework, or listen to you sometimes. But they'll spend hours watching videos on YouTube about something they're passionate about. All of these examples are within the normal developmental range meaning they're developmentally expected given a child's age. And even though some of these behaviors overlap with ADHD symptoms, it doesn't necessarily mean your child has ADHD. For children with ADHD, their symptoms of inattention or hyperactivity are so severe, persistent, and pervasive over time that they significantly impair their functioning. A child with ADHD might start to have trouble at school with peers and at home because of their untreated ADHD. Here's the thing. Children with ADHD can't make themselves focused by trying really hard. If only it were that simple. Wouldn't it be nice if you could snap your fingers and your child would remember to do their homework or clean their room? Stop squirming and stop interrupting? Wouldn't it be nice if they were more aware of danger, consequences and had a better handle on their emotional reactivity? No matter how hard they try, a child with ADHD cannot force themselves to concentrate, focus, or pay attention. And it can be really hard for them to manage their emotions. It's truly not their fault. It's just the way their brain is wired. Let's dive into behavioral signs that might indicate your child has ADHD. what does ADC look like? Let me ask you this. Does your child have trouble with organization? Is their backpack always a mess or their desk? Do they have piles of papers or stuff all around their room? Are they always losing their homework or forgetting to do it at all? Do they frequently have trouble getting started on a task? Do you hear about big science projects that need lots of materials at the very last minute? Are they always fidgety, squirmy, or talking a mile a minute? All of these things could be a sign of ADHD, especially if they're consistently happening and aren't a one-off situation. Parents of girls, your daughter's ADHD may look a little different. Girls frequently struggle with inattention. They space out or might appear to be listening, but really they're doodling, daydreaming, and lost in their own thoughts. There are three types of ADHD, the inattentive type, the hyperactive impulsive type, and a combination of the two types. If only inattentive symptoms are present, it's called attention deficit disorder, or ADHD for short. Kids with inattentive ADHD often seem like they aren't listening. They have trouble following directions, get easily distracted, have a hard time focusing, and can be forgetful or lose things often. Organization is really tough for them. And sometimes they just don't do the things they're supposed to do, like chores or homework. All of these things can get them in trouble in school and at home. Often children with ADHD won't forget to do their homework once. They'll forget to do it all the time. They may not say the dog ate their homework, but they may have forgotten their work at home again. Because of these repeated struggles, a child with ADHD might start to get reprimanded by their teacher or chided for being lazy, disorganized, or purposefully forgetful. This can take a really big hit on a child's self-esteem. So keep an eye out for signs that your child is starting to feel bad about themselves because of their ADHD symptoms. The more they can talk to you about what they're going through, the better. ADHD truly is not their fault. And it's important to know that they don't need to be ashamed that they're wired a bit differently. There are tips and tricks they can learn to help them out. Hyperactive or impulsive ADHD looks a bit different. Children with this type of ADHD always seem on the go. They have a hard time playing or doing an activity quietly. They fidget, tap their fingers, interrupt their teachers or classmates, have a hard time staying in their seat... It looks like they're being disruptive just for the sake of being disruptive. But truthfully, it's their ADHD. They aren't trying to be a bad kid or disrupt the classroom because they want to be disrespectful. Often boys will present this way. Rambunctious, energetic, impulsive, etc. If you have a child with hyperactive ADHD, you've probably had to talk to their teachers once or twice because of their behavior in the classroom. Again, these behavioral challenges can really take a hit to a child's self-esteem. They may start to internalize negative beliefs about themselves, that they're disruptive, rude, or they may have difficulties with peers because they interrupt or have a hard time with self-control or self-regulation. The more you understand about ADHD as a parent, the more you can have helpful conversations with your child. Help them to see all the wonderful things about them, despite their struggles with ADHD. Children with ADHD often feel like they're bad or are doing things wrong or letting people down. Your acceptance, patience, and warmth will go a long way in helping them feel worthy and understood. With time, they can come to see all the ways they are unique and wonderful with gifts to share with the world. Other ADHD symptoms include difficulty with time management, struggling with sleep, and emotional regulation. You might hear a child with ADHD say, I can't sleep because I can't shut off my brain. They might stay up later than they're supposed to and then have trouble waking up in the morning. Emotional regulation is also really tough for kids with ADHD. Something small can set them off and then just as quickly they'll be over it. If your child is impulsive, has trouble seeing potential danger or consequences in situations and leaps before looking, it may be worth seeing if they have ADHD. For a child with ADHD, it's like there are six televisions on at once, and they're trying to figure out which screen to focus on. If your child has combined type ADHD, they'll be a little bit hyperactive and a little bit inattentive. This means they might daydream and seem like they're not listening, but also be restless and climbing on things, running around when it's not appropriate, jumping on the bed, etc. And these behaviors don't just happen once, they happen all the time. You may be wondering, well, my child struggles with some of these things, but not all. So, do they have ADHD or not? Many people will struggle with one or more of these symptoms at some point in their lives. That's just a normal part of being a human, managing the stress and pressures of daily living. But the number of symptoms and their severity is important to note just like it's important to consider how much they interfere with your child's life. Are you curious about what causes ADHD? Let's talk about it. The exact cause of ADHD is something scientists are still trying to work out, though there are a few things thought to contribute to its development. ADHD is a neurobiological disorder linked to an imbalance of dopamine and noradrenaline in the brain. In people with ADHD, certain areas of the brain, like the frontal lobe, are smaller, impacting impulse control, inhibition, and concentration. The frontal lobe is responsible for a lot of important processes like understanding and relating to others, speech and language, certain motor skills, and it's also responsible for managing attention. A brain with ADHD doesn't develop as quickly as a brain without it. Because the neural pathways don't connect or mature at the same rate, it becomes difficult for a child with ADHD to focus or pay attention. Children with ADHD have a harder time with executive functioning as a result, so they have trouble planning, focusing, remembering instructions, or performing routine tasks successfully. In a neurotypical brain without ADHD, neurotransmitters like dopamine, which helps with concentration, stay in the synaptic cleft long enough for a person to concentrate. The synaptic cleft is the space between two neurons and it relays information from one neuron to another. But in a brain with ADHD, dopamine doesn't stay in the synaptic cleft long enough, and the result is that it's hard to concentrate. ADHD medications inhibit the reuptake of dopamine and norepinephrine. So they stay in the synaptic cleft longer. That's really just a fancy way of saying that ADHD medications increase the levels of dopamine and norepinephrine in the brain to be where they need to be to perform necessary functions. So why are we talking about the brain in such detail? Because essentially what can look like a behavioral disorder on the surface is actually due to brain chemistry. When we understand ADHD is caused by the brain, something completely out of a child's control, it's easier to empathize and understand what they're going through, isn't it? A child with ADHD isn't trying to drive you crazy or make you go gray sooner than you'd like. Their brain just isn't processing information in the same way as a brain without ADHD. Like many mental health conditions, ADHD tends to run in families. In fact, Sometimes women don't find out they have ADHD until their child is diagnosed and many of the difficulties they've encountered in their own life come to light. Out of every four people with ADHD, one of them has a biological parent with ADHD. The other three will typically have another family member who is also struggling with it. Exposure to environmental toxins such as lead pipes or paint, alcohol, drug or tobacco use during pregnancy have also been thought to contribute to its development though people with ADHD have not necessarily been exposed to any of those things. Premature birth has also been found to be a risk factor for people developing ADHD. Let's talk about comorbidity. ADHD is sometimes misdiagnosed as an anxiety disorder, depression or bipolar disorder. In the case of anxiety versus ADHD, In generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, versus inattentive presentation of ADHD, there's often an overlap of symptoms such as inattention leading to misdiagnosis. ADHD can be misdiagnosed as anxiety and vice versa. In the case of bipolar disorder, the symptoms of hyperactivity, restlessness, and struggling to sleep can appear as the manic episodes in bipolarism. During depressive episodes, symptoms such as a lack of focus, lethargy, and inattention can also mirror those of ADHD. As for depression, the sensitivity to rejection and criticism that children with ADHD often experience can look exactly like major depression. So too can the hopelessness, helplessness, and demoralization from dealing with ADHD without knowing it. Undiagnosed ADHD can cause so much distress and shame that sometimes it's mistakenly diagnosed as depression. In fact, major depressive disorder is the most common diagnosis of adolescent and adult ADHD. The emotional dysregulation typically experienced by children with ADHD is another reason it's often misdiagnosed. Because depression and ADHD commonly occur together, it's important that both are diagnosed and treated separately if they're occurring simultaneously. 6 in 10 children with ADHD have a coexisting, also called comorbid disorder. About 5 in 10 children with ADHD have a behavior or conduct disorder, while 3 in 10 children with ADHD also have anxiety. Children with ADHD can have a lot going on. They may struggle with oppositional defying disorder, conduct disorder, depression. They may fall on the autism spectrum or learning disorders, may be in the mix. Here's the thing. If your child has ADHD, they need your support. They aren't able to force themselves to be more attentive, less fidgety, less forgetful, or less impulsive. They need to learn techniques to manage their behavior and symptoms. And if you receive training in behavior management, it can go a long way in supporting them at home. Here are a few things you can do as a parent to help your child out. Connect with your child's teachers to hear about what's happening at school. You may have already gotten reports of bad behavior. Talk about what you're seeing and hearing at home and see if similar behaviors are happening in class. Take notes so you're ready when your child goes in for an assessment. Continue to educate yourself about ADHD and its treatments. This episode is a great place to start learn the symptoms but also the myths associated with the disorder and connect with other families or join a support group to continue to learn as much as you can some myths include that ADHD is only a male disorder that's not at all true boys are diagnosed 2 times more than girls in children between 5 to 17 years old but they're often overdiagnosed with ADHD while girls tend to go undiagnosed or be misdiagnosed with emotionally-based psychological disorders like anxiety or mood disorders. Another myth is that children with ADHD just need to try harder. That's like telling a person who's nearsighted to just see better. A child with ADHD inability to concentrate has nothing to do with their attitude, lack of trying, and isn't a sign of laziness. Seek out an ADHD specialist. Working with someone who specializes in ADHD and can provide diagnosis and treatment is key. They'll be able to help your child with behavior strategies and also talk to you about options for medication. It's likely they will suggest parent training in behavior management as well, which can be incredibly helpful. Tell them about your observations from home and what your child's teacher mentioned is happening at school. This will help the healthcare provider have a clear picture of what your child is going through. Contact your child's school to see what support might be offered. If your child is diagnosed with ADHD, a specialized educational plan like an IEP or 504, which are common in the U.S., may be able to be put into place to help them succeed. Be involved and practice patience. Follow the treatment plan that's recommended. If your child starts taking medication, know that it may take a while to find the right dose. Be in close contact with your child's doctor about how they're doing on the medication and ask your child's therapist for strategies you can practice together at home to help your child cope. One helpful tip is to make sure household rules are very clear. Write them down, post them around the house and review them with your child as needed. It is not enough to give a child with ADHD verbal directions. They often need very clear directions, rules, and boundaries in place to succeed. Being told to do something one time is not enough. Another tip is to reduce the amount of steps needed to accomplish a task. Simplifying household or homework systems can be especially helpful for a child with ADHD. Rather than expecting a young child with ADHD to remember what they need to do to get ready for school in the morning, create a checklist they can refer back to so they know to pack their homework folder, grab a jacket, and brush their teeth before heading out the door. And lastly, you may want to get an evaluation yourself. As I mentioned before, ADHD often runs in families, so someone else in your family may have it and not know it. If you have ADHD, you can be a positive role model for your child and show that ADHD can be managed and success is possible. (music) Wondering how ADHD can be treated and managed? Typically, treatment for ADHD involves therapy and medication. If your child is younger than 6, the American Academy of Pediatrics Recommends parent training as the first step before medication. Because children with ADHD often have behavioral difficulties that can disrupt relationships, behavior therapy and parent training in behavior management can be very helpful. In behavior management parent training, parents develop the skills and strategies needed to help their child cope with ADHD. It's been shown to work as well as ADHD medication for children younger than six. This is extremely important because the long-term effects of ADHD medications on children younger than 6 years old have not been well studied and young children may have more side effects than older children when taking ADHD medication. For school-aged children and teens, behavior therapy and medication are typically both recommended. Effective behavior therapies can include behavioral interventions in the classroom and with peers organizational skills training, and parent training so behaviors can be managed well in the home. As for medication, stimulants are the most widely used. Some of the most commonly used are Ritalin and Adderall. Roughly 70 to 80% of children with ADHD have fewer symptoms when they take ADHD medication. Medication for young children should be considered as a last resort. Refer to the first episode of Genius Little Minds to learn what questions to ask yourself and your child's physician when considering putting your child on medication. If you've been with us for a while, you know that the last portion of the podcast is where I take caller questions. On every episode, we hear from parents from all over the world in the hopes that we'll help you get some clarity on how to help your child. Hello, uh, this is Sheila from Melbourne, Australia. I'm calling because my son keeps embarrassing my husband and I when we go out to dinner. No matter where we sit, he's turning around in his seat, peering over at the other diners, running his toys along the side of the table and chairs. He'll run to the bathroom if I'm not holding his hand. I i should mention he's six. I, I know the other diners find him distracting and I don't blame them. But what are we supposed to do? Never go out to dinner again? Always hire a babysitter? I've tried everything. From timeouts, to explaining calmly to him that he needs to be quiet, to bringing the iPad so he can watch a show. Nothing works. What am I missing? Thanks for calling in, Sheila. I can sense your frustration. I'm happy you have reached out for help it may be helpful to reassess your approach to your son's behavior. Instead of focusing on correcting his negative actions, try to praise the behaviors you want to see him do every single time he does them. For example, praise him for walking to the table nicely, for sitting down in his chair, and for using his cutlery and drinking glass properly. This will likely feel very tedious at first. Over time, though, you may notice that it is far more effective than correction. You might often find that your son is better able to sit at dinner if he's had adequate physical exercise and mental stimulation throughout the day. Especially on days that you want to do something special, like go out for dinner, make sure that he plays outside like riding his bike or playing football. Practices reading books with characters or a story that you know he loves or perhaps does an arts and crafts activity in the afternoon. Avoid excessive screen time, as research has shown prolonged screen time can cause an increased inability in children to focus and pay attention. Each time you decide to go out, have a conversation with your son beforehand about your expectations. Say, when we are in the restaurant, you'll notice people sitting calmly at tables eating their meals and talking. I understand it can be tricky at times to sit still like that for a longer amount of time. If at any point you'd like to move around, I can help take you to the bathroom or we can step outside for a few minutes. He may say, but mom, restaurants are so boring. And you could respond. I can understand that you don't find restaurants very exciting as you can't move around as freely as you'd like to. Would you perhaps like to bring along the dinosaur soft toy auntie gave you the other day? Your new coloring book with stickers or... Perhaps that puzzle you've been wanting to do? Or are there any other quiet toys you'd like to bring along? Or he may say, But mom, I want to run super fast to the bathroom. You could say in response, It sure sounds like fun to run that fast. The thing is that restaurants are not the right place for running, sweetie. Let's think of some of the things that could happen. Let's pretend he can't come up with anything to say, then respond, I can think of a few things. A waiter might end up dropping a plate. Or you could accidentally bump into one of the customers and you or that person might end up hurt. That doesn't sound like so much fun. I have an idea. Since later in the restaurant we'll have to walk, how about we do some running right now together in the backyard? Consider bringing along a quiet game or toy that you and your husband can play together with him while sitting at the table. This should help keep his attention at the table instead of on the other diners around you. Remember that your son is still young. He's still learning about social conventions and expectations. Sometimes it may be easier to hire a babysitter and have him stay home. If this is the better option to meet his needs and yours, do this guilt-free. It is perfectly okay. It is still important, though, to give your son a chance to practice these skills. When you do go out, remember that your son is your priority over the other diner's opinions and thoughts. Focus on his needs and know that it will likely grow easier with time. Hi, Dr. Vieira. My name is Maggie and I'm calling from Chicago. My nine-year-old son keeps getting in trouble at school. His teacher says he speaks out of turning class, distracts the other kids, and interrupts frequently. A woman in my mom's group suggested he might be struggling with impulsivity and self-regulation. Her son was diagnosed with ADHD, and she said some of the behaviors sounded familiar to her. Is that really what this could be? Or do I just need to teach my son to listen better and wait for his turn to talk? Thanks for sharing, Maggie. Thinking that your child may have a mental health struggle is really difficult to navigate. I'm happy to help. The behaviors that you are describing do sound like the hallmark symptoms of ADHD. To start, I would suggest having a conversation with your son to find out what has been going on for him at school and listen to his perspective. Ask him, how has it been for you at school? Have you been learning a lot of new things? I'd love to hear more about those. He may respond, I like break time because I can play outside with my friends. You can then say, That's great. And how has it been in class? Do you enjoy learning? Has the teacher been helpful? He may say, There are so many noises in class. The birds outside, the pencil sharpener, and the people in the hallway. And I want to talk and play. Sitting at my desk and learning math is no fun. You can say, I know it is hard with so many noises at school and there's so much going on with that many kids around you. The thing is that school is also a great place for learning new things such as history, science, art and so much more. So school is really important. Would it perhaps help if your teacher places your desk closer to her in class so you can more easily pay attention? He may bring up other reasons why it is hard to focus or why he acts out at school. Listen to these and see if you can problem-solve them together. If your son does have diagnosable ADHD, simply teaching him to listen better and wait his turn will not be enough. He will need therapy and possibly medication to be successful in managing his ADHD. Therapy will give him skills and strategies to cope with his impulsivity and lack of focus so that he can be successful in school and beyond. Medication can also help in correcting the chemical imbalances in his brain. Start by contacting his pediatrician or mental health professional and scheduling a visit to get him assessed. While you decide on the best course of action for your son, he may also benefit from working on establishing some healthy habits in his life. These could include having a good sleep schedule that allows him to get enough hours of sleep each night, eating a healthy and balanced diet and reducing his sugar intake, drinking enough water daily, and getting adequate exercise. All of these needs being met will help your son be more emotionally regulated and help him minimize his symptoms. I know this road feels like a very hard one to navigate, but there are many professionals out there who can help your son be successful at school and beyond. Hello Doctor, this is Liesel, and I'm calling from Munich, Germany. I'm having trouble with my ten-year-old daughter. Every week we fight over the fact that she doesn't do her chores on time. It's the same story over and over. She knows what she's supposed to do and she just doesn't do it. I'm tired of reminding her to clean her room or pack her school bag every day. She ignores us when we, when we try to discipline her. Nothing seems to work. Her older sister, um, she thinks that she's doing it on purpose to get out of her responsibilities. How can we get through to her? Liesl, thanks for calling in. Chores and the routine of daily activities can be a major source of stress for many families. You may find that a few minor adjustments will make a big difference. First, try breaking down the tasks that she needs to do into simple steps. Some children feel overwhelmed by how to tackle to them complicated tasks. Telling her, organize your room, is an abstract concept and not very concrete to a child. By talking her through the steps, you make what you'd like her to do concrete by, for example, saying, it's time to tidy up and clean your room. First, you can pick up all your clothes that are on the floor and chair and put them in the hamper. Then, put your toys back on the shelves. Next, put your books in the bookcase. Following, empty your bin into the main container. You can then add whatever other tidying or cleaning steps are needed. You might end up with a breakdown list of 7 to 10 small and manageable steps. Your daughter may ask questions such as, what if I don't know where something goes? You can respond by saying, you can always ask for help and I can tell you where it should go. It may also help to make a visual representation or chart of the chores she needs to complete with a checklist to make it easier for her to keep track. Or you could purchase a planner that she can take with her to school to also keep track of homework assignments. Work together to find an option that works for both of you and then together fill it out with all her tasks. Whatever method you choose could also include the written list of the steps necessary to complete a chore or assignment like we discussed before. You may find this particularly helpful so that you don't have to walk her through all the steps every time she does a chore. She can reference back to it after completing each step if she can't remember what comes next. If possible, allow your daughter to take breaks in between tasks. She may be struggling to maintain her focus when trying to complete all her chores one after the other. Try having a set but lengthy period of time in which she's supposed to complete all her chores. Using another visual, like a timer, may help her to better grasp how long she has left to complete her chores. Allow her to take breaks between tasks while still reminding her of how long she has left. She may need help to pace herself, but this is a skill that she will develop with time. Finally, try to stick to the structure and schedule as much as possible Predictability is very important for children to know what is expected of them and for them to be able to meet those expectations. If she has chores that need to be completed daily, make sure she has time every single day to complete them. Only encouraging her to complete them some days will result in more pushback and frustration because the expectations are not consistently followed. Today's episode on childhood ADHD was helpful. Here are three key points to remember. 1. ADHD tends to look different in boys than girls. Girls typically present as inattentive, and because of this, their diagnosis is often missed. Look beyond hyperactivity to make sure your daughter doesn't fly under the radar. 2. Children with ADHD often have a comorbid disorder. Work with your child's doctor to rule out other possible diagnoses and gain a clear picture of what your child is going through. 3. Seek out an ADHD specialist. It's likely behavior therapy, in addition to medication, will be recommended if you have a child over the age of 6. Behavior management training can be extremely helpful for parents, so consider seeking it out to learn how to manage your child's ADHD better in the home. If you listened to today's episode and thought, whoa, that sounds a lot like my child, then please consult a mental health professional. I know raising a child with ADHD can be tough, but there are so many ways children with ADHD learn to thrive. Keep celebrating their gifts, notice where things are going right, and exercise compassion for your child and yourself as you navigate these waters. I hope you enjoyed this episode on ADHD. Stay tuned because on the next episode, we'll continue our discussion on childhood mental health by talking about autism spectrum disorder, looking at symptoms, risk factors, trends, treatment options, and more. See you next time. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.